Just to get started on this study, while we won't jump into the second chapter, I will read Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 just to start. Uh, just Well, because I think that it, if there's a verse that summarizes the entirety of the book, this might just be it. Galatians chapter 2, and we'll read verse 16 there, where Paul says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And that is a solid verse, a solid truth, a solid doctrine, and that's what we're going to start off with. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our study tonight. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the timelessness and the power of your word, Father, eternal and infinite and never changing. But Father, I thank you that, well, this flesh of ours, Lord, is not eternal, and we are always changing. At least I pray that that would be so, Father. Change us. Despite our flesh's resistance, despite our own hearts and our own minds, Lord, wanting something different at times, I pray that you would change us into the image of Jesus through your word. Help that to be our desire, Father, because it can be so. Lord, we trust you. We trust you, Father, to equip us for this good work that you have for us as we pursue Jesus to win him. May that be our heart's desire, I ask. Bless this study tonight and in the weeks to come, should you wait to return, Father. I pray that it would be a blessing to us, beginning this evening. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, leaving the Old Testament account of Joshua and well, 21 weeks of that to begin what I believe will be much fewer than 21 weeks of Galatians. It's only six chapters. And while I might uh, dedicate a couple of different sermons to a respective chapter, it should not be 21. So uh, I trust the Lord to lead in that. But that being said, uh, well, before Joshua, we considered 1 Corinthians. And in the past, we've considered Ephesians and Colossians. So we're familiar with Paul and his writings and uh, his purpose and his place as our apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, certainly, and bringing that new covenant, New Testament message, that message of grace and the spirit and victory uh, in the Lord and winning, winning that bridal place next to him. We're familiar with these things. And so it won't be something unfamiliar, I trust, when we consider Galatians here. But as with all of his epistles, all of his letters and his books, there is a historical context to it, what prompted it, and what his history was with these respective places here. So uh, I would ask you to consider in your own mind right now, some of you who have been students of the Word for some time, studied this for yourself, read it for yourself, I trust. Uh, what do you know of the book of Galatians? What do you know of, of its content and, and Paul's intent with that? Uh, well, I could begin with just a couple of facts or a couple of suppositions. Most people generally, it's accepted that Galatians is the first, uh, earliest written of, of Paul's biblical letters. Certainly might have had some correspondence in the years before that that dealt with some spiritual things. But as far as the biblical canon, if you want to call it that way, uh, Galatians would be generally accepted as the first one. There are a bunch of other different debates, and I'm telling you, saints, <laughs> get into all of the scholarly debates, you'll never get anywhere, it seems. You'll never get anywhere if you consider every consideration and every conjecture and every speculation and every historical, perhaps, evidence. I'm not going to get into the things that I don't believe the Lord has for us to get into and getting into the, what I deem, silly debates. 
that don't affect the doctrine that the Lord is trying to bring in Galatians, I'm not going to bring those up. As they impact and as they affect the things that we should be considering, I'll bring them up as the Lord leads. But that being said, it, Galatians was written early if it was not absolutely the earliest one that Paul wrote. Uh, if you're reading through the book of Acts, <clears throat> I'm not going to turn there, but the 16th chapter of Acts, I think the 13th chapter, we'll go through a number of these over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, you'll hear different cities named like uh, Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and perhaps you'll hear Pisidia or Antioch of Pisidia or Pisidian Antioch. These are cities that were in that region of Galatia that Paul is writing to. This is not a city of Galatia. It's a region that is now known well, it's part of a well, it's part of a landmass that's known as Turkey today. You might hear it referred to as Asia Minor in different places uh, as you consider Scripture, but it's right in the center, north to south of Turkey. They changed the name of Turkey, by the way. Now it's Turkey. I can't pronounce it, and I'm not going to pronounce it well, but there it is, and that's what where Galatia is at. So if you read in Acts and you see Iconium mentioned, if you see Lystra uh, mentioned, or Derby or Antioch of Pisidia, then you're speaking of well, Paul's interactions there or the apostles' interactions with Galatia. And Paul visited these cities a number of times. And he brought the word to these ones a number of times with varying measures of success each time that he came, sometimes with great success, at least visual success, any time that you've done the will of God, followed after the will of God and done as he's called you to and told you to, there will be success that comes, even if it's not the success that we're looking for. Uh, there's fruit that's born, if no other place than in our own hearts and our relationship with him. But that being said, there were varying measures of visible fruit born from his trips into and out of the different cities of Galatia. Uh, if you've shared your testimony very often, if you make it a habit to be a witness and a testimony of God and testify of his work in your life and sharing the word with others, then you understand. Number one, if you've been doing it for a long enough time and doing it often enough to enough, a large enough number of people, then you have a nice body of work that you can look at and say, you know, a good part of the time, you get rebuffed pretty quickly, right? <laughs> people aren't interested. They don't necessarily latch on even then in the moment. Other times, if you're fortunate, you're blessed i won't say lucky because i don't believe it's lucky there are times when you might see that you've presented the word to somebody they've laid hold of that word they brought it in they've accepted it believed it gone forward in it and you get the pleasure of watching that life as it progresses forward even into victory if, if that's what the, you know if that's what the lord gives for you to see it, what what a blessing that that is to be a partaker in that uh, but oftentimes, what we see is you present the word to somebody, you present your testimony to somebody, and they might lay hold of it. And they might burn for a while for the Lord. And then after a time, perhaps you lose touch, you lose contact, something of that sort. Maybe they step away or there's a parting for one reason or another. And then you've come to find out later on that they're just a little goofy. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but something came in. Something wormed its way in here, wormed its way in here. And it took them off the rails, you might say, spiritually speaking. Um, it changed them. They, they heard something that was false. Paul was familiar with this, uh, with this tendency. 
if not when he wrote the Galatians, and I believe that he was at that time, but it would say that if he, he wasn't fully aware, didn't have a, that great a, a, an experience yet, certainly by the time he wrote Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, we know that he had an understanding then because he said that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And in case you're questioning to yourself, I totally believe that when he wrote Galatians, he was fully aware of man's tendency to be tossed to and fro. It's just, it's who we are. It's what we, what we do in our flesh. We're wanting to hear something different oftentimes. He preached and he warned against such things as being tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, whether it's got God's name attached to it or something else completely different, whatever the case might be that's drawing us from the straight and true that we know to be, well, the rightly divided word of God. He preached against this. Don't be tossed about. Don't be moved this way or that way by different things. But the fact of the matter is that people do. Oftentimes. Oftentimes they hear something that impresses them. Hear something that tickles their ears. Hear something that that stirs them in their emotions or something. And it takes them in a direction outside of what the Lord would have for them. I'm just going to throw this in for free because it seems like it's come up a number of times here in recent days, at least in my household and some of the contacts I've had outside of our household. But I'm going to be honest, and I'll just tell you, I've grown grown to despise social media. I mean, just absolutely, I hate it. I I don't mind saying it. It doesn't mean that I don't use it from time to time. If I need to know what's going on on the highway or something like that, or need to find a news story or what's going on with the Chiefs immediately. I could get on Twitter, sure, but I'm not on Twitter as much as I once was. I'm never on Facebook anymore, it seems. I don't care for Instagram that much, but it is what it is. I see it from time to time. And I think that the more that I see social media and what it's becoming, I'm not going to just lump everybody in who, who is involved in it and does their thing on social media. I'm not going to lump all of you in there. If the Lord deals with your heart, that's between you and the Lord. But social media, as I look at it, I have come to believe that it might be the antithesis of what John the Baptizer said when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. I feel like it's the opposite. I mean, a good part of the time when you look at it, it is so much, I must increase and I must increase and I must increase and you must tell me how much increase I'm worthy of and this and that. And from time to time, I'll see uh, this social media spirituality is what I kind of dub it in my, in my own mind. Where in order to kind of, well, to kind of reach out and grab, and you can see it's such, it's such a falsehood, it's such a fallacy. Because someone will get on there and they'll, it'll be a clip of a sermon or a clip of a statement or some kind of spiritual statement or some kind of place where, where they have something profound to say. And... You know, different ones will come to me and they'll bring this. Hey, look what I saw. What do you, what do you think of this? And they'll, they'll bring me a social media post or something. And I'll look at it and they'll say, what do you think? And I'm like, okay, the lighting's good. And, <laughs> you know, the music, man, that's some moving music that they have behind there. And their vocal inflection is solid. And, man, it sounds good until you actually listen to what they're saying. And you realize, well, that's unscriptural. And that's unscriptural. And that's unscriptural. And oftentimes the person who might bring it will be like, hmm. <laughs> you know, well, how so? And, well, look here. Look what it says here. And this, this piece that they're bringing to you, man, it sounds fantastic. But if it's not what the Lord is saying in that 
piece of scripture and how they're presenting it, isn't that counter to what the Lord has for us? You know, I talk about good, better, best quite often. I'm, I'm grateful for those people who want to hear things about God. I'm grateful for that. I think it's better if we want to hear things that are accurate about God. And I think that it's best if we want to only hear things that are accurate about God all the time. Not to be snooty, not to be snotty. And Sure, there's a certain thing when someone says, man, this guy sounds fantastic. And you're looking like, you know, <laughs> what? I don't want to let my flesh get involved there. But I don't believe that it's flesh to listen to something and say, this is unscriptural. This is wrong. And it's wheedling itself into your mind and into your brain. And it's leading you away from what the Lord would have you to know. Because it's not true. Uh, so it was in Galatia. A little bit more overtly than that, perhaps. But that's what Paul was dealing with. He had brought in the word. You know, and people came in, it seems shortly following Paul's, bringing the word, casting out the seed that the Lord had put into his heart, that he had led him to come and share this new gospel, this, this understanding of who the Lord Jesus was and putting away the law and all of that. And someone, some came in shortly following that. And they had their own interpretation. Perhaps some of them had their own agendas. We know that they did. And nearly as quickly as the word was given to these ones at these different respective churches in Galatia, well, someone came in, grabbed it, grabbed the word, kind of skewed it a bit, shifted it a couple things, rewrapped it, and then presented it back to those Galatians and said, here, unwrap this and take this yoke and put it upon your shoulders because you need to do things a little bit differently than what Paul told you to do. And it seems that by and large, a number of them were more than happy to do that. They let things get in here and let things bump them off of what was actually so, what was true. Certainly, we're getting ahead of ourselves when we read the 16th verse of chapter 2. But again, I think that, that it presents well, a nice summation of what Paul was dealing with here. There was legalized spirituality that was being brought back to these ones in Galatia. Work-based maintenance of one's righteousness. There were those who believed that works had to be what was invested in in order to obtain salvation, obtain that righteousness. There were also those ones who believed that even though they might have been saved, might have believed what, what Paul had to say about the Lord Jesus, then somehow by incorporating in that old law and these old works and, and Different new works even, and identifying months and years and days and, and events and all of these things, somehow that was going to contribute to their spirituality. It was going to enhance them somehow. It just isn't so. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, it said, we just read it in verse 16, but by faith in Jesus Christ and Him only, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. With every reading of this book, and I've read it a number of times, as I'm sure that a number of you have. With every reading of this book, I puzzle to myself and think, how can anybody, how can anybody who claims Jesus as their Savior, claims to know what, what Scripture tells us, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and then agrees that Paul is our apostle, that Pauline gospel that we have here, that he's presented to us, that we can understand well what he has offered in the New Testament. 
How they can go and read this and say, I believe Paul's word, I believe it's for us, and read chapters 1 through 6 of Galatians and somehow walk away from this believing that any works, any works contribute to our justification, any works contribute to our righteousness, any works under the law might be something that, well, that enhances us spiritually. I don't see how that can take place, and yet, yet it does. And that's what we're going to consider. We're going to consider this frank statement that that Paul has from chapters 1 through 6. So clear, so frank, so obvious, and yet so many of God's people still find themselves not just falling into this Messianic Judaism type thing, but falling into any of these works-based things. Anything that might detract from our walking by faith. Our walking merely out of love for the Lord and pursuing that grace that He's well provided for us. And again, I'm not going to preach the entire theme of it because that would that's going to take the next six chapters. But that's what we're going to be considering this these next few weeks. How Paul dealt with this issue for the sake of those ones who were stumbling over the law and whatever works and legality they were speaking of in that day. And how people stumble over it today. Uh, I haven't outlined it formally and officially for you um, because I don't think that we have a need for that. But just suffice it to say that the entire first chapter and going through the first half of the second chapter, Paul presents himself and his authority to teach what he is going to reteach to these ones, correct what, how he's going to correct these ones. Uh, from all the way chapter 1 to about 2.14, I believe that it is. Then the next three and a half chapters, all the way through the fifth chapter, Paul identifies the issues, confirms the issues that are there, and he corrects them in their error, and he does so in very plain, very frank, very clear spoken words that we'll go over uh, at length. And then the last chapter, he has his final exhortations there in chapter 6, and his final encouragement, as he always does, in encouraging those ones that he corrects because he loved them. He loved them, I think, immensely, greatly, as we are called to love those of the household of faith. So we're going to consider what Paul said to these ones, how and why he said it as we consider this book in the coming weeks. Let's begin in Galatians chapter 1. I'm watching the clock, so I won't keep you longer than is necessary. But Galatians chapter 1, before we proceed any farther, let's see how he opens it up with this salutation that's consistent with, well, most of the rest of his books, his epistles, where he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, a number of different assemblies in that region, as I told you, in a number of different cities. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as I said a moment ago, this salutation, one of the words aren't verbatim what you would see in, in his other epistles, but it's consistent with what he said in almost all, except for maybe just a couple or three, in that he presented himself as the apostle, well, the apostle according to the will of God, according to the will of Jesus. He, he In Romans and 1 Corinthians, I think the only ones that he does not, perhaps, is Philemon, I think maybe one of the books to Timothy, he doesn't necessarily say it, but he says... 
I am an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He says, this is my authority. This is what the Lord designated for me. This is my purpose, and it's by the greatest authority in existence. It's by his doing. No brag, just fact, as my grandpa used to say. It was just, it is what it is. He wasn't being arrogant. He was just expressing, this is who I am. This is my title. This is my authority. And God gave it to me. And uh, in the 15th verse of this chapter... He goes on to expound on this. He says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. I mean, he's acknowledging that the Lord knew who he was going to be, knew what he was going to be from the time before his birth. He understood this. He didn't predestine him. He didn't say, well, I'm going to take this individual and this individual and do this and that. No, he foresaw what Paul's heart was going to be. And he had a plan for him. Well, when the time came that he would be on the road to Damascus, Get knocked over by a light. Jesus himself would speak to him. And he'd yield. He'd submit. And he would make himself available to the Lord to become who the Lord had for him to be. But the Lord knew what he was going to do. The Lord knew who he was going to be. And he cites that fact. I am an apostle. Not from men. Not through man. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Period. That is who I am. And he's stating that appointment Clearly, he wants it known. Then he goes on further there in verse four to express the will of that one whose will it was for him to be the apostle, the will for his people. It says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and father. God's will to deliver from that present evil age, that time that Paul was living in with these Galatian saints, it extends to us in this same evil age. We live in the church age, of course, if you're familiar with dispensations and all of that sort of thing, but Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit came, the church was established, the body of Christ, here we are building, continuing to grow, each of us individually as living stones, being built up into that body of Christ, that church of His, until the time comes that the Lord Jesus comes back. Certainly, this is that same age. In the meantime, we're getting pushed back on all the time. We have enemies as the Lord has enemies. And the Lord wants to deliver us from this present evil age, and certainly it's by the blood of Jesus. But it's also how that blood of Jesus is applied to our lives and to our hearts and His will for us and our willingness to be strengthened, empowered, and equipped for every good work, all of these things. He wants to deliver us from this present evil age, not just for salvation, for our eternal life with Him, before that eternal place next to him. That same authority that made Paul the, well, the authority that he was, the apostle, one designated to speak to these Galatians, that same one wanted him to contribute to that purpose for us. And so Paul expounds on this in this whole first chapter and on into the second chapter. He expounds on the authority that he has in the Lord and he expounds on, well, what the issues what the issues were with Galatia, he puts that back a little bit. And he says, I want you to know who I am, exactly what the Lord has brought me through, so that I might bring this to you and you might be reminded what he wants to do for you through me. And so we see him uh, going on there in verse 6. Verse 6 says, well, he gets right to business with them there. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are those, I'm sorry, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert 
the gospel of Christ. This is what was making this age evil in particular to the Galatians there. I marvel that you are turning away so soon, he says. Uh, He was kind of taken aback by this. Now, he had experience with God's people. He had experience with the enemies of God. He had experience with how they dealt with, with their enemies. But still, he was kind of, well, he marveled at it, he says. He says, here I presented the word to you, and so soon, so soon you're called to a different gospel. Saints, there are a number of different falsehoods that circulate these days, and certainly they did back then too, that, well, they're called called gospel. I do this sincerely. They're under the banner of gospel, but they're anything but. Gospel means good news. Good news, right? G-O-S-P-E-L spells gospel, means good news, means good news. We sing it since we were two years old. Gospel means good news. And there are a number of different things that are presented as being good news that absolutely are not good news. If you flip all the way back to the sixth chapter of this book and verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Do you know how, (laughs) how many false teachers and false well, wouldn't say false prophets, but false teachers have used this very verse to support their own false gospel. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So sow your seed of faith. Whatever's in your bank account, send it this direction, and it will be magnified to you ten times. You've heard it. I've heard it on so many channels for so many years from so many mouths and seen so many people just keep on continuing to feed and feed and feed. It's a false doctrine. Taking the word of God, what Paul himself is even teaching against false doctrine, they take that word and they say, well, this is what you need to do. This is the gospel that we have. You know what it's called. It's called the prosperity gospel, even if they don't call themselves that. Different ones well, have named it that, the prosperity gospel, even though the only one who really prospers from it are those ones who are taking in the checks, right? They're the ones that are prospering from it because God never promises to multiply your seed of faith check, your financial offerings, your financial donations into financial boon and benefit. He doesn't tell us that. Those ones who, well, who sow, as as Paul says not to, those ones who sow into their flesh, sow into their flesh's desires, such as riches, those financial all those financial returns that these ones are expecting to have back, that is sowing into the flesh. It's a false doctrine. It's been completely misrepresented and completely twisted there. It reminds me of Matthew 6, 7, when Jesus himself said, When you pray, do not use, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Right? Matthew 6, 7. Let me see. There it is. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Jesus says, don't use these vain repetitions. Don't just repeat things and say things well, because it sounds eloquent or it sounds continuous or it sounds, well, quantity of words. And then what happens two verses after this? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Perhaps the most vainly repeated words that we see in Scripture. People sit and chant this repeatedly. Repeat this without ever considering what it is. It's a false doctrine. It's taking something that has the Lord's name on it, the Lord's teaching on it, the Lord's stamp of approval, and skewing it and rewrapping it and trying to give it back as though it was something well, as though it was something of God's when it's been made something not. As Paul said, it's a different gospel. 
It's a different gospel, which is not another. It's a different good news, which is not good news at all. Because it's false. If a teaching is not God's word and it's painted out to be so, if it's presented as being God's word or something from God and it's not how he intended, not how he purposed, not how he taught, then it's not at all a gospel. It's not at all good news. It's something of an abomination, isn't it? Back in Galatians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9, he says, Paul says, but even if we, that means me, even if me and those ones that accompany, those ones who have been tasked with delivering the word of God, even if we or an angel from heaven, something as well as near to heavenly as can be without being Well, without being God, without being the Lord, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, what I've brought to you individually, what I brought to you rightly divided, what I brought to you before and you've left off and you've stepped off and you've heard something else. If we bring anything to you other than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, in case you missed it, Paul says, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you other than what you have received, let him be accursed. Saints, there's a great penalty, a substantial penalty that's to take place for those ones who would lead his people astray. When they bring something that they would call doctrine or gospel, good news, label it as good news, label it as something of God when it's not his. Now, particularly when it's something written of his, something that's been established, and then they take it and make it their own. God doesn't look, well, he doesn't look kindly on that, and he will hold those ones accountable. I'll take you to a passage in Ezekiel. We'll start winding things up, actually. I'll cut off some of this, some of this lesson as it's gone longer than I expected. Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, the Lord spoke all the way back in the Old Testament to these ones. All right. Do these false prophets, bad leaders of his people, um, those shepherds of Israel who did, who did incorrectly and would do incorrectly. He speaks through Ezekiel to those ones in Ezekiel chapter 34. The prophet says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, These aren't the ones who are leading the actual little sheep out in the field. They're the ones who lead his people. And prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves, who are looking out for their own benefit, who make the gospel their good news and not anyone else's. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. These ones have looked out for their own self-interest. Perhaps they've presented, well, the word of God in name, but it hasn't been, well, it hasn't been the word in action, the word in the way that the Lord had for them to bring it to his people. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to you looking and sounding right. They come to you looking and sounding safe. Looking and sounding like my type of people, like our people, people from the household of faith. And saints, let's be honest, sometimes they are actual believers. They are ones who are saved. But man, they're acting more wolf than they are sheep. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits, he says. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. And Paul could see the fruits of those ones who came through Galatia. He could see the fruits of those ones as as his people, God's people in Galatia, were misstepping and, and well, not carrying themselves, not presenting themselves in the manner that God had for them to. He could see it. And he recognized and he understood what was being brought to them and what they were hearing and what they were listening to. And it wasn't, well, it wasn't bearing the fruit that Paul's gospel would have for them. And just so in this day and age, we still have them today. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, There were also false prophets among the people, Peter says, 2 Peter 2, 1. Even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Jesus warned, Peter warned, Paul warned, others have warned from the dangers that are, are present, that, that would come, will come. He warns us. Evil men and seducers, deceiving and being deceived. These things are going to be presented to us and and will continue to be presented to us in this age. Here they are. We see them all over the place. We we see, I mention it all the time, you can drive around just this this city. And it takes no time to look at the signs that are out front of, of the churches in front of these cities and see how, well, they're professing a gospel that's not gospel. They're professing good news that isn't good news. They're affirming things that, well, that God doesn't affirm, and it's leading people, even God's people, away, away from God and away from the things that God would have for us. They present themselves daily as those wolves in sheep's clothing, and there will be a recompense for that. There will be a chastisement for it. Um, And such was the case in Galatia here. Uh, As I mentioned a moment ago, if you've shared your testimony very often, with very many people for a long enough time, you realize it doesn't always go as we like. It doesn't always go long-term as we would want. We want someone to hear the Word of God, believe the Lord Jesus, walk in Him, and, and hand in hand, we, we not skip, I don't want to just be stupid, but just hand in hand you walk, run your race of faith in victory. That's what we want. That's what we want to see. I haven't had it work out for me that way. And, and probably the vast majority of testimonies that I've had. I haven't had close fellowship with different ones who have believed and just run on in faith. Hasn't hasn't worked it out that way. Uh, sometimes, sometimes there's a parting and they just, something gets in here and it takes them off just a bit. And so it was that Paul was dealing with in Galatia. You know, it had to be disappointing to him. You know, we read, we, we spent a lot of time in, in 1 Corinthians and it, I mean, it's exceptional writing, it's scripture, I mean, we hold it in such reverence and all of that sort of thing. We don't, I mean, it's the word of God, certainly. We don't exalt Paul more than he should be, but we do exalt the word of God, and he wrote it. I have to believe that while he was writing 1 Corinthians, while he was writing a good part of 2 Corinthians, while he was writing Galatians, he had been terribly sad. 
You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's unfortunate. That writing the word of God could not be joy, 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 and joy. There's correction and correction and correction and correction. But when correction is applied correctly, then it brings about that peaceable fruit that we're always looking for. And that's what we're looking for as we consider Galatians. Paul was always doing, well, back in the old days, it was called overhaul in my old job. Someone would build a house, it was a beautiful house, and they go and catch it on fire. You know, kitchen would burn or something like that. You go in there, put out the fire, but then you spent hours sometimes chasing down all the burnt spots, overhauling, pulling down all of the junk. And man, look at the damage that it made. And it got back in the walls. And so you pull that out and pull out all the insulation and you just cut it back to where it's not burned anymore. And you cut back and cut back all the char is removed so that you can rebuild reinstall the walls, reinstall the studs, reinstall all the things that were damaged. Paul spent a long, long time, a lot of time overhauling the fires that came in and damaged the houses that he was trying to build. But I'm grateful that he did. And that's what he did in Galatia. That's what he did with these ones in the Galatians. That's what he was intending to do, is rebuild what was being burned out, putting out the fire, overhauling it, and then rebuilding it. And we continue to see that we need it today, saints. We continue to see that different ones allow those deceivers to come in and bring something that isn't doctrine. They bring in a doctrine, but it isn't. They bring in a gospel, but it isn't. And we apply these things, and so we will consider Galatians. We will consider over the next few weeks. I encourage you to read it. Read it all, front to back. And read it again, and read it again. And we'll consider more of it next week. Next week, next week we get to see a little bit of Paul's memoir. He actually presents his history, presents how he became the Apostle Paul. Uh, read it, the rest of chapter 1 and on into chapter 2. So you'll be prepared for next week. <laughs>